0: thinking aloud conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove hello and welcome i'm jeffrey mishlove today i'd like to talk about the real the imaginal and the imaginary The distinction between the imaginal and the imaginary comes to us from the French philosopher Henri Corbin, who, as I recall, died in 1978. He was a good friend of Carl Jung. He's written about extensively in uh, the book Catafalque by uh, Peter Kingsley, about which I've commented in earlier in presence monologues. He is a scholar of Sufi mysticism and Sufi philosophy. And in particular, he believes his life was changed dramatically when he began a study of the ancient scholar, well, 12th century philosopher Surawardi. Surah Wardi was known as the founder of the illuminationist school of Sufi philosophy. And in that school, the, as opposed to the uh, Aristotelian philosophers of, of that period, they were really in the Neoplatonic tradition. They believed in angels. They believed in a realm that was halfway between the physical realm that we experience through our external senses and a realm that might be thought of as as pure spirit beyond all conception, the uh, pure experience of the divine. Now, an interesting thing happened uh, to Corbin. He was studying in Istanbul with uh, Sufi philosophers there and uh, deeply immersed in, in the extensive writings of Suhrawardi and uh, his teacher said uh, t- suggested to him that perhaps he should seek initiation into this branch of Sufi mysticism which was still active in Istanbul. And he replied by saying, I have no need for this initiation I have been initiated by surahwardi himself Corbin then explained that he had achieved the uh, understanding of the imaginal realm, the uh, realm that the illuminationist philosophers were referring to. That's where his initiation came from. And In his writings, he made it very clear that this has nothing to do with imagination or fantasy, that this was absolutely real to him, beyond a doubt. Now, Carl Jung... Corbin's friend went through a similar experience, as detailed in the Red Book. Jung reports in great detail how he encountered in the process of active imagination a being he referred to as Philemon. and He actually explains how many, if not all, of his important psychological ideas about archetypes, about Well, I don't know about synchronicity. Let's just say his ideas about archetypes. I think his ideas about synchronicity may have developed later on. But, in any case, uh, the important features of his work, uh, and I suppose I should back up a little and say that this all began for Jung after his breakup with Freud. He wanted to push his study of the unconscious mind into areas that Freud wasn't willing to go and uh that caused a breakup between them and in my interview with Gary Lochman about the uh Jung's mysticism in fact because uh, one could certainly view Jung as a mystic himself uh, Gary Lochman points out that the illustrations in the red book of Philemon resemble Freud have a physical resemblance to Freud. So, uh, it begins to seem as if there's some real uh, psychological dynamics going on (laughs) between Jung and Freud, a father complex that ultimately resulted in this experience of Philemon. Now, I think one would say for Jung the experience of Philemon was However, a an experience of the imaginal realm. But the imaginal realm itself, to my understanding, and I think even according to Surawardi, who is perhaps the greatest explicator of this realm. It's one of degrees. It's not an absolute realm where on the uh, over on the right hand you've got imagination, on the left hand imaginal. No, they sort of blend into each other bit by bit, degree by degree, just like the colors of the spectrum blend into each other. So, in, in Jung's case, the experience of Philemon was very, very real. That's why, for example, he kept the Red Book secret. It wasn't ever published until after Jung's death, until well after Jung's death. And One of the reasons was because Jung himself was beginning to doubt his own sanity at the time. Eventually, I think it became quite clear to him that what was happening was not an experience of insanity. He wasn't suffering from a delusion. He was experiencing a form of higher consciousness in his communications with Philemon. Philemon is pictured as an angelic being, very much as Surawardi was describing that realm. Now, just yesterday, that is to say, the day before this particular monologue will be released. I'm calling it yesterday, but it's actually about 10 days from now. Uh, in any case, the day before I release this monologue, I will have already released an interview with Adam Crabtree, a noted psychotherapist from Toronto, who talks about uh, what he calls the land of hypnagogia and he describes his own hypnagogic encounters now uh, he uses hyp- the the word hypnagogic and hypnagogia in a larger sense than most people in the field of psychology do People in psychology think of it as sort of the twilight realm in between waking and sleeping when the mind is full of mental imagery. But Adam Crabtree suggests that all mental imagery, whether you're asleep or wide awake, that is revealing of the self, of the deep self, could be regarded as hypnagogic. I think he's using that term in a manner very similar to the way in which Henri Corbin refers to the imaginal as opposed to imaginary. And in Adam Crabtree's case, as is described in the interview, he reports on a lengthy conversation he engaged in with with a moth, a a, a, a moth that. Uh, flew out of a manuscript of, of his, uh, a moth that had been a bookworm and had been eating his own manuscript and had digested it and was reflecting back to him deep, profound insights not only about his manuscript but about himself, about the self. Now, I bring this up, of course, because uh, in all psychology, but particularly Jungian psychology, the idea of the self with a capital S is very important. That's the part of us that one might say is the, the closest to our own divine nature. Given that the divine nature is beyond all words and beyond all concepts, if we had to put words and concepts and images onto it, that's the self with a capital s and when i use the uh, rainbow yin yang logo as as the image uh, for symbolic of the new thinking aloud series I, as i've described in a previous monologue that's my picture of my own self with a capital s I sometimes say if I had to draw a picture of my soul that's what it would look like now that image came to me fully formed it see and, and when I drew it it looked the way i had pictured it in my mind uh, sometimes people get inventions. Nikola Tesla is, is reported to uh, have worked out his own in inventions, alternating current in his mind the same way. The image comes fully formed and you build the invention and it works right away. Uh, I received, when I was president of the Intuition Network, we received uh, over a million dollars in funding from an inventor in Minnesota named Buck Charlson, the inventor of power steering and the hydraulic motor, a particular motor called the Gerotor. The image came to him fully formed and when they built it, it worked the first time. When I worked with him in the 1990s, decades after the Giroder had uh, been invented, Uh, They were still manufacturing it using the original design. There was no need for improvement. So, one might say that these things also come from the imaginal realm. But, as I mentioned, there's a a, a spectrum. The imaginary uh, uh, blends into the imaginal. Now, I want to bring up another example, a contrary example. And that is Susan Blackmore, parapsychologist I've described in a previous monologue, who began her career, uh, beginning to investigate and writing about her own out of body experiences and, and was convinced they're real, but subsequently went over to the skeptical camp. She's basically written that the very idea of the self is imaginal or imaginary or somewhere in that she basically says the self is a concept and i think by that she's referring to the ego self who we think we are at the ego level it's not a real thing she would say there is no such thing as a self it's just a concept and uh, in her writing i don't know that you can be clear whether she means imaginal or imaginary maybe a little of both. She uh, is a uh, Zen practitioner, has been a Zen practitioner. I think she says she's a no Zen practitioner. <laughs> uh, and, and We could get into a deep philosophical discussion of what the self means in the context of Zen philosophy, where indeed uh, it can be understood as an illusion or as something not permanent. In any case, where this leads is that we have a certain power of definition. We each have the power for ourselves to define what is real, what is not real, what is imaginary, what is imaginal. And uh, sometimes, as I point out, the imaginal can be more real than what we think of as physically real. So, let me close by asking you to consider these things in your life. What do you consider real? What do you consider imaginary? Are there things in your life that uh, are imaginal, that are not part of physical reality, but are even more real than that for you? And Where do you think you have the power to Creatively discern these things, that is, to uh, judge them in a certain way. and can you change those judgments? Ought you to change those judgments? Food for thought for you. Thank you for being with me.